My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 155. Hey folks, Lenny Lawson here, the car guru. I was going Christmas shopping yesterday and that got shot to pieces. But for good reasons, we have been very busy selling vehicles, selling and leasing vehicles. I talked about leasing the other day and got three, not two, not one, but three phone calls from radio show listeners, podcast listeners about leasing. So people are listening. People are wanting to gather more information about their options. And that's what you need to do. Uh, You need to stop paying attention to all the advertisements out there. You know, just nail down what your needs are, what your wants are. What is the best type of vehicle for you to own? Maybe for you, it's a minivan. You know, I was I mentioned that to somebody the other day. I said, what you need is a minivan. I'll never drive another minivan. You know, they drove enough minivans uh, while they had young children. But, you know, there is no better travel vehicle than a minivan. And if you've got grandkids getting them in and out, it's just hard to beat, especially when you have those push-button sliding doors. They're great. But they're not cool, right? They're just not cool. You know, what killed the minivan was the SUV when Chevrolet came out with the Tahoe. You know, all we had was Suburbans, and then they decided to create the a little shorter wheelbase version and call it the Tahoe. And then Ford came out with the Expedition, or the Bronco, and then the Expedition. And then the Durangos, and, you know, everybody jumped on the bandwagon, and all of a sudden, driving a minivan wasn't cool. Now, when you go to a soccer game now football game, heck, when you go to the mall. The vehicles that you will see the least of are two basic classifications. One is the minivan. Uh, 30 years ago, the minivan, well, maybe longer than that. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s, all through the 80s, through most of the 90s, and then it started petering out. But yeah, the minivan was what you saw the most of. Now, they are as scarce as hen's teeth. And uh, another thing is just a regular passenger car. You know, you just don't see them. I mean, all you see are SUVs, what they used to call, they called them crossovers for a long time. You know what a crossover is? That's a cross between a car and an SUV. Well, that got complicated because they were calling SUVs just the, anything that had a full-size frame under it was an SUV. Well, then they started building Explorers without frames and Honda Pilots without frames and so forth. So they didn't want to call them crossovers from then on. So now they're SUVs. So everything is an SUV from a Ford Escape to a Honda CRV. They're all SUVs. So anyway, I was going Christmas shopping and it just didn't work out. I got very busy and I ended up leasing, not to the radio show people, they just wanted to ask questions. But two different people that came in, one of them was a person I'd been talking to for about a week and test driving a bunch of uh, EVs, and the other was just brand new, fresh, said that they just decided they wanted to try an EV. And as I've said on this show, leasing is the only way to go when it comes to EVs. So we figured leases, and the leases are very attractive. This Nissan Aria, for example, it has an 18-month lease, a year and a half. And the rates are very good. The payments are really low. 
And one of the reasons they're so low is it has an $8,500 rebate. And then if you qualify uh, for the tax deduction, you make less than $300,000 a year, which I think most people will qualify for that. You get a $3,750 tax credit from Uncle Sam. So let's do the math. $8,500 plus $3,750. That's $12,250 off, folks. That's pretty substantial. You know, that's a good way to get, I guess, dip your toe in the water as far as EVs are concerned. So there's lots of crazy deals out there. You know, the federal government is doing everything they can right now, or coming up here real soon next year. They don't really care right now. But next year, they are going to throw a new law onto the books that all those nasty, wicked car dealers are going to have to uh, abide by so that you can be safe as a car buyer. You'll be safe from their advertising. You'll be safe from their sales tactics in the showroom. All of the games and gimmicks that they all play. I'm kidding. They all don't play games and gimmicks. A lot of them do, though. That's why they have these laws. There were many, many complaints to the Federal Trade Commission, so they just decided to come up with this new rule called the CARS rule. And um, it is designed to protect you from me, people like me, car dealers. But see, I thought that's what I was for. Not to protect you from me, but to protect you from car dealers. And now i got to protect you from the government because a lot of the things they want you to do or want car dealers to do is not in your best interest. Um, And so much of what needs to be done is people just need to be educated and they need to slow down when it comes to buying a car. Read the fine print. Ask questions. You know, it's like the guy who goes to the doctor. Doctor says, you've got three months to live. And the, and all the, the guy says, well, I guess I better hurry up with all the things I want to get done. Instead of saying, really? Three months? How come three months? What, what's wrong with me? Uh, could I get a, should I get a second opinion? You know, uh, is there any medicine I can take? Could I possibly get four months? You know, just asking questions. I think too many people, they go into a doctor's office and they're intimidated and they don't want to ask questions. And I think the same thing happens when people are making large purchases. Not everybody, but I think most people get a little intimidated because they feel like they're out of their element. And that's what I try to do. Well, these laws... The CARS rules. What does that stand for? Let's see. It's just another acronym. Let's see. What does it stand for? Combating Auto Retail Scams. C-A-R-S. It was enacted on December 12th. And um, let's see. It go. It takes effect July 30th. So car dealers have until July 30th to misbehave. What it does is it covers everything from advertising to record-keeping Uh, It is designed to control the customer interactions as they proceed through the buying process. It covers, there are protections in place to control what is presented in the finance and insurance office of a car dealership and how it is presented. So we car dealers, we have to uh, figure out how to navigate these, all these new regulations. So, um, NADA, National Auto Dealers Association, is going to be providing us with a workbook. 
we have to have a workbook to be able to figure out how to make all this work. Now, okay, so how will this be prosecuted? I mean, if 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 a customer has a bad experience, I guess they can report it to the FTC, and the FTC will come swooping down on the dealership and see what they're doing wrong. A lot of misbehavior, well, you know, it happens. It, it can happen anywhere in the process. It can happen when the ad is run uh, in the like online or in a television ad or radio spot. From an advertising standpoint, the FTC is concerned about bait and switch, and that's where the dealer runs an ad for a vehicle that's really not available. So you know, you go in to see this particular vehicle that's on sale at a great price, and you go in and well, we sold that one. And uh, but we do have this one. That's called bait and switch. Now, is it legitimate? I mean, was there malice involved? Could they have sold the one price leader vehicle that they had in order to draw traffic? Yes, they could have. It could be gone if somebody really thought the price was great. So should that activity be considered illegal? I don't think so. I mean, I have price leader cars where I have one or two or three. You know, we may go to the auction and buy a bunch of uh, ex-rental cars or something that, that have good miles and still under the factory warranty, and we've got five of them. And we may say, you know, we're, we'll sell these for eighteen nine ninety five. We have five at this price. These are the stock numbers. You come in two days later, hey, yeah, I'm here to buy one of those, um, one of those program vehicles. I'm oh, sorry, we sold them all. I'm going to call the FTC. You know, that's going to happen. Another big hurdle here is what the FTC calls express informed consent to any charges. Well, heck, we do this anyway. So let's say that uh, you come into the dealership and you buy a car, and then you come into the finance office, and and the finance manager uh, explains to you additional products that you can buy, such as an extended warranty. Let's say the warranty on the vehicle is a three-year, 50,000 miles. That comes from the factory. You don't have to pay anything else for that. But you're going to keep the car I don't know, seven, 10 years. Maybe that's your normal uh, habit as far as buying a car and keeping it for that kind of a term. So you want to buy a service contract. Maybe maybe the last car that you bought, the transmission went out at 75,000 miles. So you're going to protect yourself from that by buying a warranty, an extended warranty. Um, So what they want us to do is to make sure that before we present anything to you, you have to sign a document stating that you know that you can buy this vehicle for the price that we've already quoted you and you don't have to buy anything else. That's before we can present any other products to you. That's called express informed consent. Do you really need that? I think maybe some people do. I think a lot of dealerships who pack payments, for example, those are the, the guys who close you on a monthly payment and you think you're just buying a car, but in fact, in that monthly payment, includes an extended warranty, includes gap insurance, includes, I don't know, prepaid maintenance and a bunch of other things, and you didn't even know you were buying them until after you've already signed the paperwork and the guy says, oh, by the way, you know, this does include a, a six-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Well, I didn't want that. Well, it's included in the monthly payment. Oh, it's included. You know, they're thinking it's free. Included does not mean free in that particular case. Included means it's it's in that number that they gave you, but if you took it out, that number, that monthly payment number would be a lot less. And I can totally understand why the FTC 
and just good people in general would want to know if there's anything, you know, if I can buy this vehicle for this price and not have to take all that other stuff. Not that that other stuff is bad, but there's just a lot of people that don't need the other stuff. On service contracts, you know, typical penetration as far, as far as a percentage of people who buy service contracts of the total that buy vehicles, it's about 40%. Um, and I would say that 10% of those people didn't know they bought one in most car dealerships. Either they forgot, you know, because they were so excited about buying a new car and, and you know, the process just got ahead of their ability to, to process it. And so, you know, next thing they know, they get home a week later and say, you know, that payment's kind of high. Let's, let's pull out that paperwork. And they start looking at the paperwork and say, wait a minute. That I didn't agree to buy that. I didn't agree to buy that. But then you scroll all the way down, and there's their signature where they just signed it without really knowing what they were buying. So this is what the FTC wants to help people with. They also want us to, this is very interesting. So do you use text messaging? I guess most people do. So the FTC wants us to maintain records of every single communication that we have with a customer about a car deal. Now, if it's verbal, you know, they don't necessarily, they haven't said in these rules that they want us to uh, record the conversation. That wouldn't surprise me. They're probably recording this conversation right now. No, they just want us to preserve every text uh, dialogue that we have with a customer. Now, the problem with that is, well, there's multiple problems. Is that a privacy issue? You know, do you want us keeping all the text messages going back and forth between you and us? I don't know that I want, you know, I wouldn't insist on that. As long as I have them, I'm the, if I'm the customer, as long as I have the text messages, I'm good. But the, the, the FTC wants the dealership to keep those records. They're requiring us to do that. Now, the other problem is that most of the text messages going back and forth are on a salesperson's personal cell phone. Because he's the one, you know, you're his customer. He's the one that's been talking to you back and forth, you know, whether it's a negotiation or trying to pick the right vehicle or just going back and forth for, you know, just general informational questions. That's on his personal cell phone. So somehow we're going to have to convince them to let us have access to their their phone data so that we can do How are we going to do that? I have no idea. What a lot of dealers are saying, well, in order to comply with this, is the salesperson will not be able to use their personal cell phone. The dealership will have to buy specific phones for each salesperson to use just for business. But that doesn't work for a lot of salespeople. You know, they just, they want to have one phone, and I get it. So this is just Big Brother. Uh, what Trying to solve a problem that, that in most cases doesn't exist. Some cases they do but in most they don't. Okay, I'll take my first break. I'll be back here in just one minute. Okay, I'm back. So they want us to download all of the text messages between the customer and the salesperson so that they can access those records in case there's any type of action brought. Can they not get that anyway? I mean, don't they ever watch CSI on TV? You know, anytime they want records, they can get them. They just have to subpoena the records and confiscate the phone. I don't know. I don't like this. Okay, what else? Oh, yeah. 
They want us to uh, capture anything that is said on social media that leads to a sale. Now, that's cumbersome. I just posted a podcast on Facebook. I post all my podcasts on Facebook. So let's say that I posted one. Somebody responded and said, you know, I really like your podcast. I think I'd love to come to Greenville, Tennessee and buy a car from you. I would, I'm supposed to save that. If that's the first dialogue that I have with a, with a consumer, I'm supposed to save that. What do I do? Take a screenshot of it and put it in the file? You know, whatever lured the customer to the store is going to be scrutinized. And, you know, the sad part about this is it's not the good dealers. The this, this 75 to 85% of us that work really hard to do it right, it's those rotten apples, you know, the ones who play all the games and yell and scream and do all that stuff, jump up and down. Remember Cal Worthington? You ever heard of Cal Worthington? He was that dealer out in California. He was the guy that really started all the crazy car commercials. He had a uh, a pet named Spot, I think, and that was a uh, tiger or a lion, I believe. Come here, Spot. And here comes this big lion. And he would ride elephants in his commercials and wear a big hat and say, yee-haw, and that kind of stuff. It was very entertaining. And, you know, the car lot became a circus of sorts with balloons and stuff. You know, one of the things that really really gives the car dealers a bad name is when they have these hosted sale events. We used to do them back in the 90s, and we did some in the 2000s. Basically, that's when these companies got really active in in promotion to car dealerships about running sales events for them. So they would would come in and send out uh, thousands of direct mail pieces. Those are the things that you get in the mail, you know, that have, well, you have won $15,000 cash. You know, you've either won that or a, you, you've won a new car or you've won a, you know, a 65-inch flat screen TV or a chance at winning $3,000. You know what the chance at winning $3,000 is, right? It's a lottery ticket. So, yeah, you have won one of these big things. And you go in and you have to spin and there's umbrellas up and the ta- tablecloths all over everything and like um, murder scene tape all over the place or maybe construction scene tape. It's the same kind of tape. police tape, you know, like they put up. Like, you know, they're going out of business or something. Though You need to watch out for those kinds of sales because the problem is that they brought their own people with them to sell cars. So they didn't think your salespeople were slick enough to be able to close deals the way they did or do because they still exist. And, you know... <sighs> How do you tell if this is going on? Well, if like I say, if you walk into the showroom and you see balloons all over the place and and tables all over the place and and uh, police tape and all that, then you know you've walked into a hornet's nest. And if especially if the guy comes up to you, you're in East Tennessee and he's got a New Jersey accent, um, it's probably a hosted event, and they're going to do every they'll use every trick in the book. Well, this is what has caused a lot of dealers problems. It caused me problems when I first did it and continued to do it for a while. We were selling a bunch of cars, but man, when those guys would leave, that's when the complaints would start and they would come into the dealership and they'd want to see I want to see Lanny. Then I would call the people who own the company and say, "Listen, this is not what we do here. You're going to have to 
if you ever want to do business with me again, you got to change your game. So they, oh, we'll do it. We'll take it. We won't bring these people and so forth. And then they come back in and it's a repeat performance. And so we banned them. And life has been so much better without them. When you use your own people, the people that actually are stakeholders in your business and they care about long-term relationships with customers, that's what you want. You don't want you know these gypsies to come in and roll in. Not that there's anything wrong with gypsies, but this kind there is. And they come in and they sell cars and all their, their only goal is to sell the car and to make as much money as they can on the car. And then they're gone. On to the next sale. Watch out for those. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. You know, these people that run these events, they're not bad people. They've just somehow figured out a way to justify in their mind that taking money from somebody who doesn't really know what they're paying for something, that that's okay. You know, like, well, as long as they like the monthly payment, as long as it fits their budget, then who am I hurting? That's really the way they look at it. But that's just like stealing money from an old lady's purse and saying, well, as long as she never discovers it, then she's fine. So anyway, all these new rules, uh, the cars rule, it's only going to make a difference if it's enforced. And hopefully uh, it will be, except for these social media things. That, that's, that's too cumbersome, you know, text messages and stuff. I mean, nobody has to do that. You don't have to do that when you buy a house, and a house is a whole lot more substantial of a purchase than a car, even though a car is really expensive. But the abuse is what they're trying to eradicate, and I understand that. Well, thanks for listening to this edition. Call me or send me a text, 423-552-2020. I won't keep a record of it. I'll just answer your question. I'll see you next time on the next edition of My Car Guru.